Man Heritage, I'm so proud of you and grateful for you. Thank you for, for being a loving group of people who create space for others in their own journey as, as things are difficult and challenging and, and even convoluted like uh, an immigration journey where you create space of love and trust and hope and joy and peace. We're actually in uh, this this. Advent series that's about bringing these things into the world, and I'm so grateful for the ways that you are part of doing that as a, a church family. And so when you, when you pray, when you serve, when you give, you are part of stories like the ones in this family and so, so many others. So I just want to say thank you and keep it up, okay? Before we press into our time of teaching this morning, I just, I really want to pray for us that God would, would speak in ways that only he can, that he would open our hearts and minds to him, and, uh, and so I'm going to do that. So if you'd join me in a moment of prayer, please. Father, Son, and Spirit, we quiet ourselves before you. These are your moments. We are your people. God, for myself, I ask that you would hide me behind your cross. For each of us, I pray that you would speak truth and life to us today. That you would give us open ears and willing hearts and ready hands and feet. Have your way. Lead us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, my, my family and I embarked on one of our regular Christmas traditions, which is the Saturday after Thanksgiving, to go to a local Christmas tree farm and cut down our family Christmas tree. I love Christmas morning. You just have to know, I love Christmas morning. I love all that that is. I can't wait for it, but I've got to be honest with you, this year, I wonder if by Christmas morning, there's going to be any gas left in this tank, all right? I don't know, however, how you guys are handling this holiday season as, as things are still kind of in this weird in-between of what used to be normal and what is now, and as we kind of try to do the stuff of family and work and, and life and opportunities to serve and give and love and, and memories to be made and connection with others. There's like this expectancy about what is coming and the big question mark of like, are we going to make it, right? You could do, is there going to be gas in the tank come Christmas morning? And so, you know, some of these like family traditions and things, man, they, they help fill my tank. And so I was so excited. My my mother and father-in-law were here. My mom went with us. So it's like me, my two kids, my wife, my mom and dad-in-law, and my mom. And here we are. We're just, we're just ready to go do this awesome thing. We're going to create great memories. It's going to be one of those moments that we look back on decades from now with our grandkids. And they're just like, I can't believe you were such a great dad, Grandpa. Right? Like, this is what's going to happen. So we get to the tree farm, and I let my, ten, or my nine-year-old son take the saw to go get the tree. First mistake, okay? Nine-year-old sons shouldn't take the saw. So here, here we go. We start looking at the trees, and I've got my son, Zechariah, who he forgets what he's doing on the way to doing it, right? Like, it's like, hey, buddy, did you put on your shoes this morning? Oh, we wear shoes? You know, like, this is, this is where he's at right now. And my daughter, Jubilee, who is, who just loves God and is so passionate about making everything right in the world that, that she will find injustice where there is none to try to fix it, all right? Including in the Christmas tree lot where there are some of these trees that nobody is going to take home because they're so ugly and gross 
right? But these are the ones they need a home, Dad. These are the ones, right? So I've got Ziggy, who's forgetting what he's doing with the saw in his hand, and my daughter, who's like all over trying to find the worst tree you can imagine. And finally, we like, we're starting to look at trees. Like, this is going to be great. This will be so good. We're getting a tree for us and a tree for my mom. It's going to be so good. Oh. I tell you, my family of four went into that Christmas tree lot. I wasn't sure if two of us were making it back out of there, okay? <laughs> I'm telling you, the youngest two of us almost stayed behind to help them with whatever they were doing in the Christmas tree lot later that day. It it was, it was such a frustrating experience. Yes, we ended up with two acceptable trees. You would think that we were in the business of breaking children's hearts with the two trees that we selected, okay? Like it was just, it was just a heart-wrenching, heartbreaking moment. We're there on the minivan trying to get these two far too large trees strapped to the minivan. The, the gentleman there is so kind and gentle, and he knows something's going on because my kids are on one side of the van doing this. <laughs> Mom and dad are on the other side of the van doing this. <laughs> you get in the van, and I'm like, honey, next year you and I, we're picking out the trees by ourselves, right? <laughs> this is how this is going to work. All I wanted was this, you know, exceptional moment of joy. And what I got was just the stuff of family, right? There's nothing exceptional about that story. Many of you are laughing because you have had the same, the same moments, same conversations yesterday, right? Where you have a, this is what we're going to do together. It's going to be great. And then what gets delivered is a little bit different and maybe a lot of bit disappointing, when you compare it to what you were expecting. And so how are we supposed to kind of walk in those moments and through that when we're trying to get to Christmas and beyond with some gas left in our tank to enjoy the season in a season of joy, right? And it can seem like, especially when it comes to those joy places, but man, I don't know if our tanks are going to have anything left in them come the end of the season. But I know this, that's not God's design or desire for us. He wants us to know and experience a fullness of joy. After all, this is the season where we celebrate that joy has come to us, that hope and peace and joy have lived in the flesh, have lived and died and risen again and are coming for us, that everything is different now because Jesus has come. And so it's a season to be marked with incredible joy. And yet some of us, when it comes to this season, man, we're just trying to make it. We wonder if there's going to be gas in the tank. Because we look at what we thought this season would be and what some of it is turning out to be. We didn't expect this to be the year of divorce. We didn't expect this to be the year of loss. We didn't expect this to be the year of significant job change. We didn't expect this to be the year that, that COVID dragged on forever and ever. We didn't expect this to be what it is. And so we wonder, how can we live in these unmet expectations? We expected to be able to provide a great Christmas for our family, but things are tightened, so it's going to be a little different this year. How do, we, how do we find, experience, live out, hold on to joy, and what is joy for? 
Now, it's going to be helpful for us to understand that throughout the scriptures, throughout the, the Advent journey, and Advent is this space moving toward Christmas where we remember Christ has come and is coming again, that throughout the scriptures in the Advent journey, we are reminded of a few foundational truths. This is, this is what Advent is about, okay? Advent reminds us first that God is in control. Advent reminds us God is in control, that it is King Jesus who came to us, the ruler and king of the ages in the universe, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And we see in the story of Christ coming, we see in the story of the people of Jesus, that God is in control. And this is just kind of a, a key foundational truth that some of us need to be reminded of. God is in control. The next kind of key thing that, that Advent reminds us of is that God is not just in control, he is at work. That God is in control and at work. He's the king of the universe, but he also sends his son to us as evidence that he is at work with us. That in the circumstance you are facing, in those joy-sucking moments and the great ones, God is at work. In the spaces where you wonder if anything is happening at all, God is at work. In the moments where you wonder if you're going to make it through one more work day, God is at work. And he's at work in and through you. This is the stuff that Scripture and, remind, and Advent remind us of, that God is in control, God is at work, but here's where it gets really good, and God is with us. This is what we celebrate at Christmas time. That God didn't just choose to be king from a distance. He didn't choose to be God at work pulling strings from afar. He is God with us. With us in our sorrows and our joys. With us in the moments where we wonder if anything could go right. With us in the moments where we can't celebrate loud enough. He is God with us. These are, these are the key three kind of elements that, that we just need to settle in and, and kind of rest in when it comes to this Advent journey that we're on. That these are the things Scripture is reminding us of. And you don't even have to be convinced of it yet here today, okay? But I'm sharing these with you as just kind of foundational understanding. As we dig into Scripture together, as we look at how it is that you and I on this week of joy can hold on to joy and actually fill our joy tanks, if you will, and then do something with that joy, we got to remember these three truths. God is at work. God is in control. God is with us. These things, they give hope, they breathe peace, and they are where we root into joy. So I want us to kind of take a next step in and look at what this joy thing is. Because for some of us, we've mistakenly thought that joy is an experience of happiness depending on circumstance. But you see, joy is, is a level of trust and confidence out of the overflow that we engage in, in trust and confidence no matter the circumstance that we find us in. There's a, there's a passage of scripture that actually kind of paints for us an interesting picture of what joy is. And so rather than try to define it, I'm just going to show you the picture that we see of it in the Old Testament book of First Chronicles. This is what the writer says as he is celebrating that the, the Ark of the Covenant, which is a box that marks the presence and power of God, is among the people. And this is what he says. He says, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He's to be feared above all gods. 
for the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. So every other god is a, is a false god made by human hands. But our Lord, he actually made the heavens. He says, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. So here's what you need to see in that passage of scripture. That we have confidence, God is in control. Actually, the heavens are his. God is at work. He is, he is moving in incredibly powerful ways. And that in his presence, wherever God dwells, there is strength and joy. Joy and strength. When we first started this series a couple weeks ago, we talked about how hope moves us to be people of justice because the poor have hope and justice shuts its mouth. And we understand that the peace of Jesus moves us to be people of restoration, that we receive his peace, but we move into being people of the shalom peace of God who bring restoration to the world around us. So hope moves us to justice, peace moves us to restoration, and here in this passage we start to see that there's something about joy that moves us to strength. That's, that seems like an interesting connection, doesn't it? Why, why would it, throughout the scriptures, connect joy and strength? We see that in many ways. The psalmist would say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Somehow, joy and strength are connected Strength for what? I don't know. We're going to get there. But here's the thing. The writer says, strength and joy, joy and strength, they're somehow connected, and that they live in the presence of God. That that's just where they are found. So what would it mean for us? What would it mean for us if God's presence were with us all the time? If joy and strength are in God's presence, and God's presence were to be with us all the time, I think that would mean that you and I have ready, consistent, constant, overwhelming, overflowing access to joy and strength because God is with us. Here's, here's what the writer says, right? Joy and strength are in his dwelling place. But the story of Christmas, the story of Advent is that God's dwelling is now with us. Just a couple of passages of scripture that you might be familiar with. In Matthew chapter one, this is what we read about the birth of Jesus. It says, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The very name of Jesus, Emmanuel, means God is with us. Joy and strength dwell with him, and he dwells with us. Interesting. John 1, the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. One translation says, and moved into our neighborhood. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. These are just a couple of passages. 
Just a couple of moments where we see God designed us to be with him and he with us. That he not only is a God for us, he's a God with us. So again, if joy and strength are wherever he makes his home and he is with us, that means there's a reservoir of joy and strength for us that is more than enough for whatever it is that we're facing. This is good news. So what do we do with that then? Believe it or not, we've been talking for a few minutes, and this is all the introduction. Isn't that super hopeful for you? That's great. Yeah, no, don't worry. Here's what we see, though, is that where we find strength, and this is where we find strength and joy, because that God is with us, that he has made his dwelling with us, we see undeniably that God is in control, God is at work, and God is with us. This is something to root into. So how do we then root into that joy? How do we experience it when we're faced with anxiety and worry and frustration? How do we fill up our joy tanks when it seems as though there's more disappointment perhaps than fulfillment? How do we make it through this season and not just on fumes, but on the other side of it, find ourselves full to overflowing with joy because God is with us? And then, that question still unresolved, what do we do with the joy that we have? Why would God consistently tie joy with strength? There's a passage of scripture we're going to get to in a minute. It's in Judges chapter 6. That's in the Old Testament. You can turn there if you want. But what we see throughout the scriptures is often when we find joy or strength identified. It's because God is reminding his people that in his joy and strength, they are to go into places that will require them to be strong and joyful. They're to go into the places of darkness and oppression, of hardship, where people are marginalized and forgotten, where there is is deep oppression happening, and they are to be the people who bring joy, and to do that, you have to have strength. You have to be able to stand firm, to be strong, to say, ours is the God who is in control. Ours is the God who is at work. Ours is the God who is with us in every circumstance, and he is even now about bringing rescue and redemption and hope and life, and he wants to do that, not just in us and for us, but through us for the sake of others. So here's what we see as we as we kind of get to this story of a man named Gideon in Judges chapter 6. What has been happening in the world is that the, the people of God have made some decisions that have moved them further and further away from God's goodness and plan and purpose for them. And so now they find themselves in a place of oppressor, of, of, of oppression, They find themselves in a place where they are being oppressed, used, marginalized, abused, because they're God's people. But the interesting thing in the story to me is this. They are in that circumstance because of the choices that they've made. And yet, God activates a rescuing, redeeming, active freedom person on their behalf for their sake kind of points us toward Jesus. But as he's doing that, as he's doing this, hear me, church. 
on one hand, you could look at this whole group of people and say, they have kind of made their bed and now they have to lie in it. They've, they've gotten themselves to the circumstance where they are. And some of us, when we look at groups of people who find themselves marginalized, forgotten, and oppressed, the first thing that we sometimes go to is saying, man, but it seems like they sure made their own bed. They need to lie in it. That's just a consequence of the decisions that they've made. When I look at Scripture... It sure doesn't seem that that's a grid that factors into whether God is going to activate a plan of rescue and redemption or not. That he is about freeing the captive. He is about releasing the oppressor. And it doesn't matter to him in the moment of rescue how they got to the place of needing rescue. Which is really good news for me. As somebody who often finds himself asking God to bring me into a space of rescue. Even as I've made a series of silly, dumb decisions, getting myself in the mess that I'm in. So anyway, we come to the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6, and God finds Gideon, uh, a man who's of, you know, really minimal stature, and he is trying to harvest his crops in a way that nobody else will see him. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. And the funny thing about that is you, that's not how you thresh wheat. It's not how you get what you need to get out of your wheat. But he's doing it because this invading, oppressing army is around. And they are trying to steal all of the, crap, all of the crops of the people of God. And as they are trying to steal all of these crops, they're going to move the people of God into starvation. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to starve them out and starve them to death. So here's Gideon trying to keep him, his family, and his people from starving to death. And so he's hunched down in a wine press trying to get the wheat out of its husks. And the angel of the Lord shows up and says, hey, there you are, you mighty warrior. He does not look the part of a mighty warrior at this part. And he says, God is with you. Gideon asks a question, I think, that a lot of us find ourselves asking when we're in moments and spaces where things are hard and where our tank is running empty. He says, if you were with me, if you were with us, how come things are so hard right now? It's the actual question that he asks. And what I love about the interaction that we see between God and Gideon is God doesn't challenge him. God doesn't rebuke him. God doesn't even correct him. He just says, no, buddy, I've been with you. And here's what I need you to do. This is where we, we pick up the story. God tells Gideon, I'm going to use you as this delivering one. The Lord turned to him and said, Gideon, go in the strength you have. Go in the strength you have. Go in the joy you have. And save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Say, go in the strength you have. Say, go in the strength you have. All right, there we go. We're tracking, right? Go in the strength you have. Now, here's what I love about this moment is God knows that Gideon's strength and joy are not very much in this moment, right? That Gideon does not exude strength and joy. He is exuding fear and anxiety and worry and wonder how they're going to make it from today to tomorrow. He's not somebody who's living in this overwhelming place of strength and joy. 
And yet still God sees him and says, you are the one I want to use to bring rescue and hope and joy to my people. So here's what I'm going to do for you, Gideon. I'm going to tell you, go in the strength and joy that you already have, even if it's just this much. Because it's in giving God just the little bit of strength and joy that we have that then he moves in powerful, wonderful ways. It's when we trust God with even the little bit of joy and strength that we have, he takes it and uses it in an outsized way to bring joy to others, to bring rescue and hope and light and life to others, to even fill our own tanks with joy and expectancy. You see, this season of Advent, it's not just about what we receive in the person of Jesus and we receive everything in him but it's that as he fills us up with his hope as he fills us up with his peace as he fills us up with his joy as he fills us up with his love that we go out empowered in those things as the people of Jesus powered by his spirit to take hope and peace and joy and love into places right here in our world today that are desperate for those things to be seen and made real but to do that it's going to take strength this is why I think the writer consistently ties joy and strength together. The joy and strength that Gideon had was not very much, but it was enough that God could take and do something impossible with it. So later on, the story continues. It says, so Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. Go, Gideon. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. I love this passage of scripture because Gideon finally, and this, you read the story, he goes back and forth with God a lot about like whether he can actually do this thing that God is inviting him into. And again, God is so loving and gracious and says, no, no, Gideon, it's in the strength you have. It's in the joy you have. I'm not making a mistake by inviting you in the circumstance you're in to go be a person of strength and joy. And friends, I think if you could hear the voice of Holy Spirit speaking into your circumstance, whatever it is today, you would hear him say, I did not make a mistake when I placed you in the circumstance and situation that you are in today. And what I'm asking you is in the strength you have in the joy that you have, come with me. Am I not the one sending you? And watch me do outsized, impossible things. Go in the strength you have. God would use this unlikely servant, Gideon, to point to the person of Jesus generations and generations later. God would use this unlikely servant, Gideon, to bring a real rescue to his people. God would use this unlikely servant, Gideon, even though he was imperfect. And if we read his story, we see that he made some, some boneheaded errors in how he functioned in some of these moments. And yet God was still faithful. There were challenges that his family had to deal with for years later because of bad decisions he made, but God was still faithful. Because remember, he's about bringing redemption and rescue and restoration. It makes me wonder for you, 
It makes me wonder for me. When I look at what's going on around me, when I, when I look even at the, the terrible tragedy that has just in, it, we've just encountered in Kentucky and, and Tennessee and, and all of these things where, where there's been incredible loss of life. How is it that you and I can, can bring anything to bear in these spaces? And I ask the question this way, and it's one I would invite you to just sit and ponder with Holy Spirit for a moment. What would someone, if they had joy and strength, do in the midst of your current circumstance? If somebody else were in your current circumstance, the things that's causing you anxiety or frustration or fear, the, the thing that's causing you to like, I'm ready to throw in the towel and be done, if somebody else with joy and strength were to find themselves in that same circumstance, what would they do? And I think that's a picture of what God might invite you to be doing in the strength you have, in the joy you have, trusting that he will do what only he can do. Another way to ask it is this. What would somebody in your current circumstance do if they were absolutely convinced that God is in control, that God is at work, and that God is with us? How would they interact in that moment? How would they seek to bring life and hope and freedom even in spaces of oppression? I bet I know what some of the answers to that are. I, I bet somebody with absolute conviction that God is in control and at work and with us with joy and strength, that they would choose sacrifice in whatever circumstance that you're in. That, that they would choose risk that they would move to forgive or seek forgiveness, that they would choose faithfulness when it's hard and generosity when it's costly and selflessness even when things seem scarce out of confidence that the joy of the Lord is their strength, that in the strength and joy they have, God would be found faithful. So friends, here's my invitation Here's what I believe Holy Spirit is pushing us to be and to do, inviting us into, is that whatever our circumstance, that you and I would expectantly go in the joy and strength we have, knowing that if we could hear the voice of Holy Spirit, I think he would say, go in the joy you have. Go in the strength you have. After all, am I not the one sending you? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the gifts of hope and peace and joy and love and Jesus, of course. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to speak to us about what it looks like for us to be people of joy, people who are convinced, Lord, that you are in control, that you are at work, that you are with us. God, for my friends here today, oh, would you give us strength and joy? But more than that, would you show us in the strength and joy that we have what it looks like to go, confident that you are the one sending us, ready to receive all that you have for us. 
Lead us in that way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.